0: He said they just couldn't go back. Just couldn't go back to to kind of ordinary. Hit uh, this guy had said uh, God, he used to go to this, this larger church, uh, probably well known by a lot of people. Is well known for its great uh, kind of Sunday morning or, or its great uh, services that, that very highly produced. Uh, they were uh, great, great music, great sound, great lighting, great uh, video drama, a, a, a world-class communicator with a very appealing message, and he had, he had been at that church, and, and, and he loved that church, and now he had to move away. And there was just no going back. I mean, none of those, none of the other churches that were around, they didn't have that same that same quality of, of music and sound, that same uh, quality of production. It didn't have that same, uh, didn't have the same video, didn't have the same world-class speaker, didn't have the same appealing message. It just couldn't go to church. Couldn't, just couldn't, could, just couldn't go and hear it anymore, gave up on church, uh, hadn't found one yet. He's just looking for that, for that right uh, for that right mix of, of that ambiance and that video and that music and that, that feeling uh, that he had on Sunday mornings they used to have. What is it that brings us to church? What is it that brings us to Jesus Christ? Is it supposed to be the ambiance? Is it supposed to be what what one pastor calls creating an environment wherein people can come to Christ? Uh, a, a, a particular kind of feel. Being a, a one pastor calls himself a cultural architect. Uh, I just call myself a pastor. I, I don't know. Just you know, he's trying to create a, a shape, a, a a mood and a feel. What is it that binds us to Christ? It should not be the skillfulness or the production, or the technique of men. It ought to be the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what I hope that you'll see this morning, is that it's not about what men can do. It's not about what men do, but it is about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's about the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. And there are really only two points uh, today. Only two points, uh, summed up in a little phrase, not about men, but about the message of the cross. Not about men, but about the message of the cross. First, we're going to see it's not about men. Look in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 16, not about men. First Corinthians 1, read verses 10 through 16 with me. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Starting in verse 10, Paul introduces this topic and this, this issue uh, that, is, that is happening there in the, the church in Corinth that is going to take up the rest of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4, and it's a significant issue. And that is there are there are divisions there. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all of you agree. You be n- united in the same mind and the same judgment. Okay, so there he's talking about the, notice notice already he's using this this family language. He's appealing with the, uh, with the affections and the ideas of we are, we are a family. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is, the one, he is the one that we are all. He is the Lord of us all. He's Paul's Lord. He's the, he's the Lord of those who are in Corinth. He's our Lord. I appeal to you in his name. Agree. Now what he's talking about there when he says agreement, it doesn't mean that we all believe exactly, precisely the same thing. Uh, we know so we can look at some place like uh, Romans 14 where it talks about how there were differences uh, differences that should be respected among the people uh, on issues of, of food and drink, on issues of what kinds of days that you you recognize and what kinds of days you honor. So there, there are certainly things that we're, we can differ about as we go through the course of our First Corinthians, there are some things that we you may disagree about. We may still be go to the same church, we may still love one another. But we're going to disagree about the interpretation or the understanding of that passage. That's going to happen. Well, what Paul is pointing out here is he's saying there are divisions among you. Now look at look in verse eleven. He says it's been it reported to me that you're quarrelling with one another. In some place like Galatians five twenty, divisions and and dissensions and strife and quarrelling. That is that is the that is the uh, one, Those are the deeds of the flesh. That is those things are the things that. The remaining sin that remains in God's people, that's what it produces. It produces division. And he explains what the division is over in verse 12. It's about men. Some said, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow, say, I follow Cephas. Or some say, I follow Christ. Now, it makes sense that some would be followers of Paul. Paul probably founded the church in Corinth. Maybe some of these people were sort of charter members. They, they had been there when, when Paul first came. He was right. They were there when they first started the church. Uh, so so I, I'm, I'm sticking with Paul. But then Apollos came. And Apollos, from everything we know about Apollos, he was a very skilled speaker. He was a very, he was a very passionate preacher and a very skilled logician, and people liked listening to him. And so, some some people said, "I heard, I don't, Paul wasn't that great. I mean, he was just kind of, he was boring, and and and." But Apollos, we like Apollos. And it makes sense that some would be followers of Cephas. You know, Cephas is is another name for Peter. Peter's one of the apostles of the early church. In some cases, sort of sort of seen as kind of the leader or the spokesperson for the apostles. Uh, someplace like the Day of Pentecost. And so other people are like, I, I, I really, I'm with I'm with Cephas. I'm with Peter. Uh, I, I, he was one of the he was the the one who recognized Jesus for the first time. But then there's this there's this other little group that says I, we're, we follow Christ, which is which is the hardest one to explain because uh, in the course of the book of Corinthians, Paul's going to try and convince us to be followers of Christ. But this group was probably, it seems like they they were they were boasting based on what we know about the rest of the book of of Corinthians, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of pride. There was a lot of there was a lot of relying upon on uh, of identifying with a certain party or a certain clique, a certain club. And so some people said, "Hey, we're we're part of the Jesus Club. We uh, we have a closer connection to Jesus." Uh, that there, there were people in the in Corinth who who were who saw themselves as more spiritual than others. Uh, we're, we're better than other people. So so uh, how do you how do you understand this? I mean, we're we're of Christ. You, you other people, you go you go you lower class Christians. Uh, you all go with these other guys. We're with Christ. And it even shows us something, something about something warns us about the pride that we can take uh, in in our party, in our division, in our in our group. Well, Paul says, this ought not be. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. There ought not be any divisions. And, and look again, look at look at uh, look at what he says in verse 11. He says, there's quarreling among you, my brothers. There ought not be divisions. The, the language that he's using, he's saying, brothers and sisters, family of faith, family of God. Later on, he's going to talk about how we all have one Lord. He's going to talk about how we all come from the same spirit, that we're supposed to be one body. We're, we are not supposed to have this kind of quarreling and arguing in the body. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Now, I might be the last one to know. Sometimes that happens. Because uh, I I I like to I turn a deaf ear to stuff, but but to my knowledge there are no divisions in our church. Well, this makes it a good time to say there ought not be any divisions in our church. There there ought to there ought to be this this family kind of unity that says we're not going to we're not going to argue with one another, we're not going to despise one another, we're not going to put one another down, we're not going to use we're not going to hurt one another. Instead we're going to we're going to admonish one another. We're gonna encourage one another. We're gonna help one another. We are family. We're not gonna sing, but uh we are we are a family of faith. That's what we are, and so so we are going to we are gonna walk with one another. You know, Paul even says in some place like Philippians 3.15, he says, uh, he's talking, he's talking about what he's, he's been talking about justification by faith alone, about about trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, about pressing on for the, for the resurrection. And then he says in Philippians 3.15, those of you who are mature, think this way. And then he says to the rest of you, God's going to reveal that to you in time. Well, that. That's a way of looking at one another that ought to avoid any kind of division that's a way of that's a way of even allowing some people who to think differently. you know you realize if we required everyone to agree on every specific thing in our church, we would never have new believers here. We would never be able to accept them in because they, they would never be able to understand everything at once. I want you to know that that If you're a new believer here, you don't have to understand or agree with everything at once. You you may recognize how you don't know everything now. You may have a lot to learn. but, But you are not a second class Christian. You are a full heir of Jesus Christ. And so we, we rest in that. There ought not be any divisions, not even, not even between those who say, "Hey, I'm, a, I'm of Christ. We're of we're the up, upper echelon. that ought not be. Now then look in verse 13, there's a series of questions in, in verse 13. He says, "Is Christ divided? The implied answer is no. God, Christ, Christ is not divvying up himself he's not he's not giving some of his blessings over here to one one group in the church and giving some other blessings over to this group in in the church it is the whole christ for the whole church there's one body and he has dispensed gift to every every person in the body but he has intended for everything to work together for the building up of the whole body It is the whole christ for the whole body christ is not divided there aren't there aren't any parties in christ then he says is Is Paul, uh, was, uh, was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know, I said that there, we don't have to agree on every single thing precisely the same way, but there are some things that we must agree on. We could think of maybe, maybe divide the things, beliefs into things that we must believe, things that we ought not reject and things that we ought to believe. But let's talk about things that we must believe. If you're going to be a Christian you must believe that you are a sinner and that Christ died for your sins. That's implied in the question there is, is Paul, was Paul crucified for you? The implied answer is, no, Jesus was crucified for me. I'm a sinner who had Jesus Christ die on the cross for my sins so that I might be forgiven, so that I might be right with God. That is a necessary understanding. That is a necessary belief. And the the next belief that we must believe is that Jesus Christ, we must submit to Jesus Christ as our Lord. That's what's implied there in the idea of baptism. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? That is, uh, were you you coming under Paul's lordship? Were you going to become a follower of Paul? No, you were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. You were pledging yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we must believe together. And you, know, it may be that that you recognize yourself to not be a believer, but this—if this is starting to dawn on your mind—that yes, I am a sinner, and yes, that I am—I I do want to trust in Jesus Christ. And this—that is—that is—that is what it takes. That is what you must recognize, mind and heart. You must—you must recognize I am a sinner and Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. That is what you must rely on. There are, there are other things to know. There are many great, wonderful things to know that will, that will hold you up in the Christian life, that will keep you going to the end. There are many, many great things to know in, in God's word. But you must know Christ died for you, a sinner. And you must submit to him as your Lord. It might be dawning on you. The, way that you. the way that you even express your devotion to Jesus Christ is by being baptized. You know, if, you, if, you're, if that's dawning on you, if you're coming to realize that, I talk to the friend that you came with. Talk to the friend who invited you or talk to one of the pastors after the service. I have a ministry of like hanging around after the church, okay? So, so we're, we're good at ministering by hanging around. You come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. We're happy to help you grow in the Christian life. And then he says, starting in verse fourteen through sixteen, he says, uh, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody else." And he's trying to. You can tell he's going through the through the list of people in his head. You know, it's like like when I'm trying to remember stuff. Krista wants me to get at the store. I know I'm gonna forget something. He's trying to trying to remember uh, baptize these guys. I know I baptized them. I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. But I'm glad I didn't baptize anymore, because what he was actually saying was. I, I'm glad I didn't do anything that would contribute to people saying that they were about paul I'm glad i didn't i'm glad I didn't press that on so so I want you to see that there are there are two sides to this to this thing number one we we're not supposed to devote ourselves to any one man we're not supposed to devote ourselves to it's not about men it's not about what it's not about it's not about giving our allegiance to any man we have one lord Jesus Christ we have one teacher Jesus Christ we are devoted to him we don't fall lockstep behind any one man we always it, it what any one man says we always test by the scriptures we're not following so we avoid that and then also if we want to if a if a preacher or a man wants to make sure that people aren't doing that, what they also say is, don't follow me. In some cases, it's not always even easy to tell whether or not people are are really trusting in Christ or whether or not they're really following just a man. The, The man who is preaching God's word or leading a ministry ought to be the one to say, don't follow me. I didn't die on the cross for you. You weren't baptized in my name. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus Christ. And so if that's, if that's the, the thing that Paul is trying to get out, he, he's trying to we, need to, we need to have no divisions among us. And what's more, we should have no trust in what mere man can do. We're not not basing anything that we do on the skill, on the production quality, on the talents, on the gifts of any man. Instead, we are trusting in Jesus Christ. And then in the next section, we've seen that it's not about men. Next, we'll see that it's about the message of the cross. Not about men, but about the message of the cross. Just read verse 17 with me to start with. Here, verse 17, Paul says, Paul gives the reason, okay? So why am I glad that I didn't baptize anybody? Here's why. Here's why. For, or because, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, he didn't send me to try to Get people to follow me. Paul says he didn't send me to baptize. He didn't. He didn't send me to try to cultivate a following for myself. He didn't. He didn't try and, he, he wasn't trying to get the most. The the get get the most likes on Facebook or, or the most followers on Twitter. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to get those things. For I wasn't. I'm not. Try, he didn't send me to do that. He sent me to be a rock star apostle. Okay. He sent me to preach the gospel. Now then, notice the way that he says he, he, he didn't do that. Not with eloquent wisdom. What's wrong with eloquent wisdom? And not only that, he says, not with eloquent wisdom, less, that is, that is so, that, so that the cross of Christ would be emptied of its powers. If he preached with eloquent wisdom, that would lead to the emptying of the power of the cross. How, what's wrong with eloquent wisdom? What's, what's wrong with, what's, how does that empty the cross of its power? I mean, on the one hand, I mean, have you ever read First Corinthians thirteen? That's known as the love chapter. You know, that pretty elo- pretty eloquent, pretty wi- pretty wise. You know, what what's Paul trying to say? And and as I empty the, the cross of his power, he's saying he's he's not saying, hey, I, I intentionally try to say things uh, as poorly as possible so that so that somehow in my in my uh, blathering on, uh, people might get something out of it. He's not saying that. You can see you can see that Paul does think about how he say how he says things and he's a skilled in many ways he is skilled. but what he's saying is is that that if it were about my eloquence, if it were about my wisdom, then it would be about me. That is he, he's not he's not structuring everything that he says. he's not he's not creating uh, things around himself so that people would say, how wonderful he is. He's not trying to impress anyone. He's not trying to gain a following for himself. He doesn't. He, he, the reason why that is, is because the, the preacher cannot appear, cannot gather people, try, try to get people to recognize his cleverness, and at the same, same time recognize the power of the cross. You can't get a following for yourself and a following for Jesus at the same time. That's what he means by by emptying the cross of its power. If the only reason why you believe in Jesus Christ is because of the skillfulness or the talent or the giftedness of a pastor or a preacher or, or the, the influence of a particular man or the, the great systems of a good church. If that's the only reason why you believe, then you have emptied the cross of its power. You have made it, you have shown that it's about the strength of a man and you've made the cross look weak. When in fact, God is pleased to show forth his power, he is pleased to perfect his power through weakness. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be small and weak so that the cross can look strong and powerful. That's what he says. That's why I don't preach with eloquent wisdom. That's why, that's why I don't try and cultivate a following for myself. Now then, he's going to elaborate that on that in verses 18 through 25. And, and in the next coming weeks, in and, and the verses that come after that, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25 now. This is what he says. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Look at verse 18. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but those to, to us who are being saved is the power of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 29, 14. That is, I, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the sermon of the discerning I will thwart. All right, what he's saying there is, is, is people, the, the wisdom of the world, the normal way of thinking in a worldly way does not see the cross as a good thing. In fact, are you kidding? We're talking about blood and lambs being slaughtered and, and Jesus dying on a cross. It's, it's, such, it, it's even hard for us. I mean, I, I still think if really people really think about it, they would recognize how offensive it is now. It's much more offensive to Paul's audience. The fact that this man, you did not even talk about the cross. You did not talk about crucifixion in polite company you would not talk about the crucifixion at thanksgiving dinner because everybody would just kind of that that would make them lose their stomach because they'd seen somebody be crucified before they they'd walked past a road where they put people up on crosses and where they were they were there being spat on and mocked and dying they were developing this 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 almost gangrene on the cross and and suffocating and bleeding you'd talk about that and the world says oh wait are you telling me that that's how you get saved you're telling me that your savior your savior died on a cross that is that is so strange that is beyond strange that's offensive i can't, I can't stand to think that that is that is foolishness that is that is so strange y'all are so weird But then Paul says, to, "It is folly to those who are perishing." What he's talking about, and what, the way he's connecting that to Isaiah twenty-nine, is in Isaiah twenty-nine. One of the themes of Isaiah is that is that God God humbles the proud, and he's talking there about there are some who there are some who are who are uh, who are proud. Uh, they are even they are even hoping in they they give lip service to God, but they're actually turning away from God. They actually don't believe what they're saying. And, he, and, and listen to this. He's saying they are perishing. Those, those, who, those who are rejecting the gospel are perishing. Those who are believing the gospel are being saved. What one writer says that when we come to listen to ser- sermons, we ought to have seatbelts and crash helmets. Because what's happening right now, as people hear the gospel, as people hear the word of God, and as they make their decisions about it, already salvation and judgment are happening. Now, it's not always clear to human beings. And and for that reason, we always ought to be humble and charitable toward one another. But in God's mind, he already, he already, when people are disbelieving the gospel, already they are on their way. They're on, they are perishing. They are in the process of perishing because of their rejection of the gospel. There, there's something already happening in this in this time now, where people are are making decisions about Jesus Christ, and for some of those decisions, that is the decision. Now we ought not give up hope on people just because our knowledge is, is limited, but God's knowledge is not limited, and He sees what is happening. That's the first division. It's the division between talked about in different places and in the in the scriptures, different ways described in different ways. There are only two responses. Belief or unbelief, wisdom or foolishness, wickedness or righteousness, it's perishing or it's salvation, but already some are on their way to perishing. At the same time, some are already being saved. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you are already, you are already counted righteous before God because of the death of Jesus Christ. You are already what the Bible calls justified. That is, God already sees you as righteous. It's almost as if, it's almost as if whatever's going to happen on the last day has already been spoken about you. He says, You're, you're righteous. And now you, you are being you are being sustained the way that we looked at last week. Christ is sustaining you all the way to the end. You are being saved. Now then look at verse thirty. Uh, excuse me. Look at verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. You know what he's saying there? He says that the most, the intellectual and the influential people of this age are not believing in Jesus Christ. That seems like a strange thing for Paul to say. Why would you want to bring that up, Paul? I mean, you, you, want to, you want to make it clear to everybody that the most intelligent people, that the most wise people, according to this age, are not trusting in Jesus Christ. Why, why do you want to do that? And he says, he says in the next verse, he says, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's not it's not based on men's intelligence or education or scholarly ability, but instead it is based upon the power of God. You know, I I think we need to recognize what what we tend to want to do is when we want to we want to convince somebody or we we want to have the professor give the talk. If the celebrity comes to Christ, we want to put the celebrity out front because that shows how powerful God is. In reality, Paul is saying the the fact that, that the most powerful, the most intellectual, the most intelligent, the most influential men of this age, they're not the ones who are coming to Christ. That shows the power of Christ. That shows the wisdom of Christ. That shows the wisdom of God. We ought to remember that before we before we try to get before we try and get that person as our spokesperson. To remember that it's not the person who stands in front; it is the message that changes people. It's the message of the cross. Now, I think that a lot of you are intelligent. I do. I really do. Yeah, that's that's why that's why we're the sermon's so long. Because uh, I think that you're intelligent. Okay, I think that you're intelligent. But I hope that you're ready to to know that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, the world's not going to see you as intelligent. The world's not going to think that you're smart. The same way that it's hard for a rich man to come to Christ, it's hard for a, a man who appears wise, who loves to be seen as intelligent by the world. It's hard for him to come to Christ, too. So... Uh, in someplace like Luke 14, Jesus talks about the things that we have to renounce in order to follow Jesus Christ. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, let me tell you something that you have to count the cost on. You have to know that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, the world is not going to see you as intelligent. If you love being seen by the world as smart or wise or with it, then you, you better, you can't follow Jesus Christ. You can't follow Jesus Christ if your biggest value is being seen as The one who knows something. Because you may still be intelligent and you may be able to use your intelligence to serve the glory of God. But the world is not going to see you that way. The world is going to see you as a fool. Because you believe in a crucified Savior. Are you talking 2,000 years ago? You're reading a book? What are you you doing? It's never going to respect you. And so you have to die to the world. And the world has to die to you. You can't go around hoping that, hoping that they'll see how, how smart you are and all of a sudden con- convert to Jesus Christ. That's not going to happen. It's going to happen by the, by the work of, of God in their lives through this very message that they find to be folly. This very message that they find to be foolishness, that's what it has to be. That's how they come to Christ. He explains that in verses uh, 22. And 23, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, Paul says Jews demand signs. So someplace like Luke 11. The Jews demanded, they said, Are you the Messiah? You're saying that you're the Messiah or you're, you're indicating that you're the Messiah? Well, if you're really the Messiah... Well, give us a sign, show us something for sure. And Jesus said, "I'm only going to give you one sign, and that's the sign of Jonah. That uh, the same way that he was in in the in the belly of a well for three days, the Son of Man's going to be in the earth for three days, and then he's going to rise again. And that's the sign. That's the resurrection. And there's there there's nothing in." this world with greater historical reliability than the resurrection of Jesus Christ and still people don't believe that so don't tell me that that you need a sign or greeks greeks they like wisdom that is they 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 thought about the world they thought about how the world worked and they had a certain idea of how the world worked and they expected that Jesus, that the gospel, that the message of Paul would work according to the way that they thought the world was supposed to work. Okay, okay, I'm okay. Trust in Jesus so long as it kind of fits within the framework that I already have. But coming to Jesus Christ is not not fitting him into your way of viewing the world. It is a revolution in the way that you view the world. But he says... uh, this is what they want, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. How, how could you, the reason why it was a stumbling block to Jews is that based on the Old Testament, the, the man on the cross, the man who was hung on a tree, was cursed by God. As indeed, Jesus Christ was cursed by God. He was cursed by God for our sins, for our transgressions. He was a sinless man who went to the cross and took our curse for us. But they could not believe that you could possibly, that man could possibly be the Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would crush the Romans, not one who would be crushed for our sins. They couldn't believe in that kind of Messiah. Or, or it is folly to the Gentiles. You mean, you mean resurrected? Like with a body and everything? Yeah, Greeks did not do resurrection. That that the the body was the body was corrupt, the body was evil. What we really needed to do was free the soul from the body, and and that that would be it. No, no, don't don't give me crucified Savior. That's not powerful. That's not that's that's not Alexander the Great. That's not Julius Caesar. That's not that's not that's not the kind of afterlife I'm looking for. Paul Paul didn't go out there and do market research and say, Hey, let me find out what people want, and then I'll give them what they want, and that way they'll be drawn to Jesus Christ. He didn't do that. Oh, he'd done some market research. He knew what people wanted. And then he preached Christ crucified anyway. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to know what people want. People often come to me after the service and say, I really wish you'd talk about this. Well, keep talking about Christ crucified. He preached crucified, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now then look at verse 24. He says, but those who are called. Out of all this folly and all this seeming weakness in the cross, do you know what makes the difference? When some people from both Jews and Greeks hear the message of the cross, through the message of the cross, God calls them. This is what some some theologians will call effectual calling. It's not the it's not the general invitation to all people uh, that Jesus gave when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. It's not the general, uh, it's not the, the general uh, call of all people to, to the, the command to, uh, to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. It's, it's not that general that is given to everybody. It's something that, that God does. It's God working through the message of the cross. And when that, that is when a Jew who used to stumble at the cross, God's call persuades them overcomes their unwillingness to believe and brings them to Jesus Christ overcomes the, the Greek persons the, the one the one who needs wisdom it overcomes their their barriers. They, they used to see it one way. what God does same way that God created at the beginning of the at the beginning of all things he spoke things into being, God God calls things into existence where they were not before. For those who are dead in their sins, through the message of the cross, God calls people to life. For those who are unbelieving, God calls forth from them belief. For those who were rebelling against God and against his commands, God calls forth from them repentance. God calls into being things that were not so that God gets the glory. What's what's the difference maker is the difference maker is the difference maker maker our secret sauce that we've cooked up here at my church is 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 it my is it my special techniques is it my ambiance is it my is it my is it my atmosphere that i've created that is an it is atmosphere that's conducive to people believing and making a decision is it is it that is that the difference maker no what makes the difference is the call of god you have a you have a you have a whole crowd of unbelievers and they hear the message of the cross and some believe and some don't, what makes the difference? It's the call of God. It's not because some were smarter. It's not because some were, were uh, had a better night's sleep. It's not because some hear better. It's not because some were, uh, some, some were better educated. It is because God calls through the message of the cross. And the way he says, well, the rest there, he says, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. To us who believe in Jesus Christ, we see the cross of Jesus Christ as the power to save us from our sins. He saved us from our sins by his death on the cross. Other people don't see that. Unbelievers don't see that. Outsiders don't see that. But for those who are called by God, we we only because of God, not because of anything that is in us, but only because of God, we're able to see that. And we see the wisdom of God, that in Jesus Christ going to the cross, God demonstrated his justice against sin and at the same time, his almighty love to forgive sinners. He accomplished both of those things at the same time. He demonstrated his goodness, his good righteousness and his good love at the cross. We see that that's wisdom. That is that is true wisdom the more you come to understand how the word fits together and how God's plan fits together, you will begin to see the wisdom in it. There is great wisdom there. We see that because God has called us. And you know what? I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that that Jesus Christ is the only one with the power to save. It may, it may have appeared foolish to you in the past. But what Jesus Christ did for you, for sinners like you, is he paid the debt that you owe. He satisfied his righteous justice on the cross so that you could be saved. And so believe on him. Not because of anything else, but because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. Last thing that Paul says, he says, "For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men." what' what does he mean by the foolishness of God? He means the cross. the The foolishness of God, the cross, is stronger. is 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 stronger than what any man can do. You know, it doesn't matter how effective a speaker you are. It doesn't matter the. The only thing that can change people is the cross of Jesus Christ. The, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God. What is the weakness of God? It is, it is the cross. Do you realize how weak Jesus looked? Jesus allowed himself to go to the cross, to have himself tied and pinned to the cross, and he allowed himself, he willingly gave his life. Even though at any moment he could have called down a legion of angels to free him. He did not save himself so that he might save others. That looks like weakness. That is the strength of the cross. That looks like foolishness. But that is the wisdom of the cross. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Paul Paul making this big deal about the message? He's saying... Don't let it rely upon what men do. Don't let it rely upon men's gifts or talents or technique. Nothing that man can do can save anyone. In fact, he's trying to to explain what preachers are supposed to do. Preachers need to know what preachers are supposed to do. Preachers are supposed to preach the cross. Not all preachers know what they're supposed to do. And some who know what they're supposed to do don't always do what they're supposed to do. But we're not trying to gain a following for ourselves. We're like groomsmen at a wedding. It's, it's an honor. It's an honor. It is a noble calling to preach Christ. It is a noble calling to be an overseer of the church. But, but we are trying to not to attach people to ourselves. We're not trying to attach the church to, to the best man. We're trying to attach the church, the bride of Christ, to the groom, Jesus Christ. We are attaching people to him. And you know what? You need to know what preachers are supposed to do. You need to know what preachers are supposed to do so that you don't follow men. You don't center your life on, on, on your allegiance or your your, your devotion on, on a man. Instead, you devote yourself to Jesus Christ only and know that it was his cross that saved you. And because preachers aren't the only ones who proclaim the gospel, the message of Christ crucified. We all who have known Jesus Christ ought to be preaching, proclaiming, speaking, explaining the gospel to other people. And we do that with the confidence that it's God who calls. That's the message of Christ that changes people. And so what we do is, we don't put our confidence in men. We put our confidence in the message of Jesus Christ. We put our confidence in Christ and Him crucified. Father, uh, thank you for, uh, thank you for, the wisdom that we do that we do know and that is revealed in Your Word. Wisdom that does not fit with the way that the world views wisdom, or the way that the world views what is right and good. The way, that, the way the world views, the way that things ought to be, but wisdom that fits with you. You are the prime good. There is nothing good or, or, or right or wise that is not centered on you. Please help us to put our confidence in the message of the cross, to put our confidence in Jesus Christ, Help us to avoid all underhandedness or, or reliance upon ourselves and help us to renounce uh, all, that is, all that is righteous in us, all that is powerful about us. Instead, we, we rest in Jesus Christ. Make us a people who are committed to the gospel, to preaching the gospel of Christ, to the message of Christ and him crucified. More and more help us to die to ourselves, to die to the world and to be found alive in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. We praise God for his word. What you see before us here... We not only proclaim the gospel through what we say and what we preach, but in the act of the Lord's table. So we want to invite you, if you're a baptized believer, someone who's placed their faith in Christ, who God has called, we want to invite you to come. Take this bread, take this cup, this representing of Christ's body and his blood that was shed for us, and let's receive it together and proclaim the gospel together. As I mercy reigns.